That song has special meaning to me. At the Memphis School of Preaching, every morning we have chapel before classes start. And that was our theme song when we ended the morning uh, chapel service. And brings back a lot of memories. Although I'm having trouble remembering a lot of things, I think I've forgotten more than I remembered. Unless you've been living in a cave or you've been living in a hole, you know what has taken place this last week as far as a Supreme Court decision. I can only guess that this morning many sermons were preached based on that decision, some sermon of some type dealing with the issue. But of course, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Unfortunately, we live in a country with a government that has a body that can make those kinds of rulings. Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. None of us have a crystal ball to where we can predict the future. But we don't have to be a prophet or the son or daughter of a prophet to know that there are consequences to certain kinds of decisions that are not good. Tonight we're going to look at a few. We're going to look at man's ideas versus God's ideas. Because that has been that way from the very beginning. And that's where we will start our lesson this evening is from the very beginning. But man oftentimes does not really care what God says. There are those who might say, well, that's just the sinful nature in us, which the Bible teaches nothing of the sort. But God created us free beings as far as giving us free will and choice as to do right as compared to do wrong. And God wants us to do right, but He does not force us to do right. I don't think it would have benefited God at all to create robots. That's why the scriptures teach very plainly about our love coming from our heart. Because that's what God wants. He wants it from the heart. He wants our being. God has been very kind to man. Because we know that once man sinned in the garden, God had already planned to send a redeemer to this earth. So that man could be redeemed, so that man could have that opportunity to spend eternity with him in heaven when that time comes. We know that people speculate all the time, or people ask hypothetical questions all the time about why did God create man, why is there sin in the world, questions along those lines. But the sin in the world is because of mankind, it's not because of God. And yet there are those who want to blame God for every evil that exists. Everything that happens that's not good in their view, they want to blame God. Many of those who claim to be atheists do that exact thing. They base their non-belief off of human events 
the acts of humanity and blame God, which they say doesn't exist. Strange way of thinking about things. But God has given us an opportunity to live in a place that at this point we can't even comprehend how great it's going to be. I don't care how many times we read about the descriptions of heaven in the Bible, there's really no way we can comprehend how good it's going to be. Take, for example, a person maybe going to an amusement park for the first time in their life. They know that there's a lot of excitement there. They know that there are people who enjoy themselves, but they really cannot comprehend what it's like until they get there and get involved. But we don't really have to fully comprehend it to know that it's there and to know that if we're not there, we're in another place called hell that's going to be terrible. But man's ideas often conflict with God's ideas. There are many ways to reject God. Some people reject God in a haphazard way, not really thinking about it a lot. And then there are those that may go to the other extreme that say they hate God because of certain things. And that's why they hate God, because bad things have happened to them in their life. But what about man's ideas compared to God's? If you have your Bibles, if you will open them to Genesis, the third chapter, as I said, we'll begin at the beginning. Because this is where we see the conflict between God's ideas and man's ideas. And I look at this situation in the garden with Adam and Eve as one of those things that would not, in the very beginning, cause a great stir. Especially for some in the world today where they say, well, you know, God doesn't expect us to really follow His Word. That's just kind of a guideline. You know, kind of a low-key type of idea of doing one's own thing, as I think that phrase may have become popular back in the 60s, do your own thing. Some people carried that too far in doing their own thing against God. But when we look at the fall of man, as some have called it, from the very beginning we see that God was not slack in giving man commandments or letting man know what was acceptable and what was not. If you'll now look at chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the uh, serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, I don't know what it would have been like to to have been one of only two people in the world at that time. I don't know what the state of reality would have been at that point, but we know that it was the right state of reality because God would not have given Adam and Eve commandments and rules of living if they were not capable of understanding those and comprehending those. 
And as we see this, this looks like just a simple conversation between Eve and the serpent. Now, today we would think that would be a little bit odd if you were talking to what we would consider a creature. But maybe Eve didn't think that at all because of the surroundings, because of not being uh, but only one of two people in the world. I don't really know. But we know that there's a conversation going on here and how Satan has disputed what God has said, actually lies about what God has said, or the motives for why God said what he did. And yet we see here Eve knew that God had made those commandments. She told Satan what she could not do, she and Adam. So why wasn't that enough for her to say, I'm sorry, God has said, thus saith the Lord. But we see, and according to 1 Timothy 2.14, that she was deceived. But yet she knew the truth. She knew what God had commanded. Now listen to what Satan says in verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now this must have been enough for Eve to maybe start thinking a little bit. I don't know what her views of God were at that time, but we do know that she followed Satan rather than following God. Her idea possibly she thought well maybe it's not as bad as God says maybe God doesn't mean what he says although God gave the commandment maybe he doesn't really mean that and that's the way a lot of people view God's word today he gives a commandment but he really doesn't mean it he's a big grandfather type and when we all get to judgment God's just going to let everybody in he really doesn't mean that we're going to be lost eternally if we disobey Surely he can't mean If he's a God of love, he can't mean that. Well, Eve takes of the fruit. And notice in verse 6, what it, the idea here about what this fruit will do. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat now she started looking at that tree a little bit differently was it because Satan had deceived her into thinking that God was an evil God and he just didn't want them to know about what was going on Don't know. we do know that she saw it, she thought it looked good, thought it was good for food, and it was a tree that would make one, the fruit that would make one wise. Reminds me of what John said in 1 John, we talk about the love, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Man starts thinking differently than God. God knows what's good for us, even when we don't. But then we start thinking we know better than God. Because we want something or we like something. Surely God didn't mean that. There are those who will say, well, 
you can do anything you want as long as it's good in worship and God will accept it. I have heard people say that. Is that what the Bible tells us? No. But man's ideas begin to override God's ideas because man thinks he's smarter than God. You can read the first chapter of Romans and see that very thing happening, as Paul tells us. But we have Adam coming into the picture. And Adam knew the same thing, because remember when Eve said, we can eat of every tree of the garden. That tells us that uh, Adam knew the same thing that Eve knew. So Adam's without excuse. Their ways trumped God's ways. And yet they had no idea what the consequences of that would have been. And sometimes people will avoid evil or avoid sin because they're aware of the consequences. We do it as Christians because we understand God's Word. We understand sin. And we understand that when we do certain things that there are going to be consequences. But the consequence in this situation was the fact that sin came into the world. A violation of a commandment that wouldn't seem that big of a deal changed the whole world. So in this case, man's ideas brought in something that was very destructive into the world because their idea was better than God's. You know, oftentimes there's an account for us in the Bible, but very little is really said about it. In one of those situations with Cain and Abel, very well known for people who are religious people, but yet there's really not a lot said about that account. As far as volumes of words, but you don't have to have volumes of words to say a lot. Because, as the Bible says, we know that Abel's blood speaketh from the ground. Although we know that blood doesn't speak, we understand that's a figurative language. And the fact that it implies or it shows certain things. But as we see in Genesis 4, the fourth chapter, the fact that Cain and Abel brought before God sacrifices. It says in the process of time, so we know that these are grown men. We know that they've been around a long time. We know that Adam and Eve were put out of the garden and Adam being, as we read through scriptures, actually being uh, a righteous man after the sin would have taught his children to do right. We don't know a whole lot about these sacrifices. We don't know what they were for. We don't know how often they were done. We do know that in this case, there were sacrifices brought before God. God accepted Abel's. He did not accept Cain. But what is interesting is that Cain knew about right and wrong. We see in verse 5 of chapter 4, But unto Cain and his offering he had no respect, speaking of God. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fail? Now this is a key verse, verse 7. 
If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now in this verse, God talks about doing good and doing bad. So evidently Cain understood that because God's talking to him about it. He says, you know, if you do good, it's going to be accepted, right? But if you refuse and you choose to do that which is evil, sin lies at the door. So what did Cain decide to do? He decided to follow a path of evil. Instead of doing that which was right in God's eyes, he chose to go the other way. There are many who claim to believe in God. Many who claim to believe in Jesus as the only Son of God. And yet their actions in life are in the opposite direction of God's ways. It's not that they're not aware of it. They are. It's just they choose to live their life as they want rather than following God's Word. As Acts Acts 17 says, Verses 30 and 31 tells us that God commands all men to repent. So that says right there that God wants every person to live according to His Word. He commands every person to repent. So it's not a matter of if I reject God, that's okay with God. It's not okay with God. But God does not force people to follow Him. God gives us that choice. He is giving Cain the choice right here. He says, if you do good, don't you know it will be accepted? But if you do evil, sin lies at the door. I think one of the most blatant in-your-face decisions that man can make was made by Jeroboam. You'll take your Bibles and you turn to 1 Kings, the 12th chapter. Jeroboam was not a good king. And as we read this small passage here about Jeroboam, we see a person who is as adamant as they can be about going against God. It doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter what God has commanded. As a king, Jeroboam should have known the law. I'm sure he knew the law. But it takes more than just knowing a law or a commandment. It takes following it. And Jeroboam decided he wanted to do what he wanted to do out of very selfish motives. I'll begin reading in verse 25. 1 Kings 12, verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem and Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. 
Now he know he knew that the place of worship was Jerusalem. He says it very plainly. But he doesn't like that. He's afraid if the people continue to go up there, they're going to turn against him. Which might be a legitimate concern if there were those that were wanting to hurt him. Fine. So you have a situation where you think people may turn against you. Does that mean that you actually turn against God? We face troubles every day, day in and day out. Because we're going to face some troubles, does that mean we turn against God? Absolutely not. goes on to say, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar? The golden calves. Made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, and on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Now, if you're familiar with the old law, I know the bells are just going off left and right. Which they should be. Because he violated so many of God's laws in this one idea of his to have worship be held at Dan and Bethel rather than Jerusalem. And it's not just a matter of changing the place of worship, which he had no authority to do. He begins to make other changes and go against God's laws. One of the things that we can see that he did was that he made priests of those who should not have been made priests. Where did the priests come from? They came from the Levitical priesthood or the Levitical family, the tribe of Levi. But he took people that were not of the tribe of Levi and made priests out of them. Not only that, he made a golden image or any image. The law of Moses, we go back and we look at Exodus the 20th chapter and we see the Ten Commandments there. And they talk about no other gods. They should have no other gods before God. What did he do? Notice what he says about the golden calves in verse 28. It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods. O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now, who brought the people up out of the land of Egypt? It was God. And He tells us that. It was not these gods that brought the Israelites out of Egypt into the land of the wilderness. It was God. So He lies to the people. 
So they broke one of the commandments of having other gods. They broke the commandment, and by following Jeroboam, they broke these commandments. Jeroboam has them worshiping these gods. They were not to have these uh, engraving images. They were not to bow down to them. They were not to have any other gods before God. He has them doing all of this. But he made a feast too. At the same time that there would have been a feast in Jerusalem. Why? Because that would have been a problem for him if he didn't have something to kind of counteract that. Because they would have gone to Jerusalem. It would have been another uh, reason for them to go to Jerusalem. So what does he do? He creates another feast. Also, he sacrifices on the altar. Now, who were the ones that were supposed to sacrifice on the altar? The priests. Jeroboam wasn't a priest. He was a king. So he violates God's law there. And this is all because of his selfishness, his desire. It didn't matter what God said. And that's what we have today in our world. People don't care what God says. If it doesn't satisfy my situation, my needs, I'm going to change it or ignore it so that I don't have to deal with it. I can have it my way. So Jeroboam changed worship for the people. It not only changed the place of worship, he changed the worship. In the New Testament, we're commanded, how, we're commanded worship and we're told how to worship. We do not have the right to change any of that. You know, we're to come together on the first day of the week. Do we have the right to say, well, we're just not going to come together on Sundays. Let's do it on Fridays. That way I get two days into the weekend and that'll suit me just fine. We don't have the right to do that. We don't have the right to mess with God's worship. Yet Jeroboam felt like he had that right. And it didn't end well with him. If you look at chapter 13. And behold, there came a man out of, God, of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. So he's burning incense. He's still doing it. He's still violating God's law. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord. Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name. Josiah was a good king. And upon there shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is a sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, or torn, broken, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand which he put forth against him dried up so that he could not pull it again uh, in again to him. The altar also was rent and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God and pray for me that my hand may be restored again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again and became as it was before. What I see happening here is the same thing that people are going to do when it really comes 
down to it, judgment day, people are going to be wanting God to correct it. They're going to be wanting God's mercy. Here, Jeroboam wanted God's blessings. He wanted God's mercy so that his hand would be restored back to normal. Well, didn't he just get through violating all of God's laws, but now he wants God to help him. It reminds me of people who say, well, Lord, if you help me out of this situation, I'll do this or I'll do that. They get out of the situation, God doesn't even hear from them until the next time they need God to do something for them. The ways of man. But we see Jeroboam here violating law after law after law because of his ideas being better than God's. We have also the situation with Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus 10. If you'll turn to Leviticus 10, we're very familiar with this passage. But once again, man's idea versus God's. Here we are dealing with two proper priests, those that were from the tribe of Levi, Aaron's sons. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. They knew what the instructions were. They knew what the rules were. They were not novices at this. They were around when all of this began. When they came out of Egypt and then the priesthood was set up. They were around. They knew the rules. So why did they decide to violate God's law? Well, the text doesn't tell us that, but we see what happened to them. Because they violated God's law, verse 2 tells us, And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. God handled the problem on the spot. Now, God doesn't handle, that, uh, handle things that way today. But the end result will be the same. It may not happen now, but those who violate God's law are going to suffer that kind of uh, punishment at judgment. <coughs> so we see that uh, a case, that people who are supposed to be following God, we know that there are people who never really come to a knowledge that they ought to serve God, and they never do. We can kind of understand that. But it's hard to understand people who are supposed to be following God and decide to do what they do. Unfortunately for Nadab and Abihu, their sentence was immediate. There are other accounts that we can look at in the Scriptures that deal with this idea of man's ideas versus God's ideas. God has not left us without example. Or proof. I've had discussions with people when one example is not enough. One fellow, a member of the church. And we were discussing some things and I brought up an example and he made the mention of that's only one example. And I thought, and I asked him, how many examples does God have to give you? How many times did my mama have to tell me to sit down before I knew she meant sit down? One time. But people want to go their own way. People want to do it their way. They don't get it like the song, I did it my way. 
We can't do that with God's Word. It's not like Burger King where you get it the way you want it. A lot of people say, well, that's negative. That's, I tell you what, anything that's going to help me get to heaven is not negative. Because once I get to heaven, I'm going to enjoy being in heaven. And I'm going to be thankful for those times that people corrected me. I'm going to be thankful for those times that people taught me the truth. Even when it had to come in a way that maybe I didn't really want it to be. That's like children as we grow up. We don't like being corrected by our parents. I didn't like getting spankings and you know, being punished for things. But you know, as I got older and I matured, I realized that my parents did me a favor. They probably did one of the best things for me in my life, and that's to show me discipline as a child. God shows us discipline through His Word. The question is, will I follow that discipline? Will I give my life to God? Will I do what God wants me to do? And if I end up suffering for eternity, I have no one to blame but myself. Because God has given me everything that I need in order to spend eternity in heaven. The question tonight, how are your ideas compared to God's? Are you in harmony with God's ideas? Are you in harmony with His commandments and following them? Only you can answer those questions. For those who have not obeyed the gospel, they have not obeyed God's commands. Many think they have. The Bible is not complicated when it comes to what it takes to have eternal salvation. When Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized, how hard is that to understand? But we know that it takes more than baptism because God wants us to repent, which is changing, a change. Well, we can't make that change until we start understanding what God's Word is. That's why Paul said that faith comes by hearing. We've got to be in contact with the Word to understand it and start making changes. Start thinking as God would have us. Not going by our ideas, but going by God's ideas. So Paul says that faith comes by hearing. And then when we understand what God says and we read about the Christ, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is the author of our eternal salvation, showing that we have the opportunity. Believing that Jesus Christ has the key to eternal salvation should cause us to repent, to want to have that, that desire to be in heaven. Causing me to say, I'm going to change. I'm going to do whatever I need to do because I want that. I want that salvation. And then upon just making that change of my lifestyle, my life, my thinking, I'm willing to confess Christ as Lord and Savior and then be baptized for the remission of my sins. And then become a child of God, become a member of the Lord's church. If you haven't done that tonight, you need to because if you're not... A member of the body, you're a non-member. You're outside, and there's no salvation outside the body of Christ. We stand ready to assist you in becoming a child of God tonight if that's what you want to do. We pray that you won't reject that, won't reject God's ideas and God's commandments. As a child of God, if you need to take this time to correct your life, maybe unfaithfulness, maybe something that you did in a public way, you know that this is the time to do it. But we certainly pray that you'll come as we stand and sing.